0: This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.
2: Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Johnny Depp wins his multi-million dollar defamation lawsuit against former wife, Amber Heard. Wildly wrong, the DAA admits their mistakes in judging their post-COVID recovery, which led to travel chaos at Dublin Airport.
0: Put
3: simply, we failed in our duty to our passengers and I want to offer my deep apologies to everyone impacted
2: The Environmental Protection Agency has said that urgent implementation of all climate plans and policies are needed for Ireland to meet the 51% emissions reduction target by 2030.
4: This government uh, has introduced some of the most most significant uh, climate change legislation uh, in an unprecedented way in terms of the targets we have set and creating legal obligations on, on this government and indeed future governments.
2: And later, Ukrainian MP Kira Rudik will be here to share her insights into the war that's torn her country apart. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. tonight. Actor Johnny Depp has won his multi-million dollar defamation lawsuit against former wife Amber Heard. Depp was awarded damages of $15 million. But for more on this now, I'm joined by US correspondent Kate Fisher, who joins us from Washington, D.C. tonight. Kate, what more can you tell us about this verdict that came in um, after weeks of evidence
5: in this defamation suit? That's right, nearly a seven-week long trial, three days of jury deliberations, and the result is that the jury have found that, yes, Johnny Depp was defamed by his ex-wife Amber Heard, and they awarded him $10 million in compensatory damages and $5 million in punitive damages. It was a split decision by the jury, uh, but overwhelmingly in favour of Johnny Depp. They did find uh, one area that they say he defamed. And Amber Heard through his lawyer, and they've awarded her $2 million in damages for that. But overwhelmingly, this trial that has been explosive, emotional, lurid in some of the details, as these two have hurled uh, accusations of abuse at each other, has ultimately ended in something of a victory for Johnny Depp, which is in stark contrast to when he was in court in London uh, after the Sun newspaper had a headline calling him a wife beater, he lost his uh, case there in London. And the judge in London ruled that, in fact, Amber Heard, in his opinion, had been subject to abuse. Oh, so, so tell us, Kate, um,
2: we saw Amber Heard's reaction in court when when and the verdict was read out. Uh, uh, We've also heard that Johnny Depp has reacted to this verdict. What have they both had to say? They've both, in essence, been liable for defamation. Johnny
5: Depp, though, through his attorney. Yeah, that's right. So uh, in court, Amber Heard was, uh, Johnny Depp was not in court, we should say. First of all, he is currently, we think, in Newcastle in the UK because we've seen some social media pictures of him there. He's certainly in the UK. He, didn't, uh, he wasn't in court to hear the verdict. Amber Heard was there. She remained stony-faced throughout all of this, just staring down at the table. She released a statement immediately afterwards, though, saying that she felt disappointment beyond words and that she was heartbroken, that the mountain of evidence still was not enough to stand up to the disproportionate power influence and sway of my ex-husband. She also pointed out that she believed this was a huge setback uh, to a time when women who spoke up could be publicly shamed and humiliated. And it sets back the idea that violence against women is to be taken seriously. Johnny Depp, on the other hand, uh, Released a very relieved statement saying that the jury has given me my life back. I am truly humbled. He ended it by saying the best is yet to come and a new chapter has finally begun. Of course, he's hoping that this will now help him to resurrect his Hollywood movie career. Um, But clearly Amber Heard uh, devastated by this. Many fans of Johnny Depp have been at the court every day to see this trial, and many of them were outside the court this afternoon, and they were rejoicing at this verdict.
2: Kate Fisher in Washington for us. Thank you for that update tonight. Well, here at home today, the chief executive of airport operator, the DAA, has said that its predictions on the rate of recovery post-pandemic were wildly wrong. Appearing before the Iraqis Committee on Transport and Communications, Dalton Phillips said that the rate of passenger increases from March of this year took off at a level that they were not expecting. Well, during the committee, plans on how to avoid further travel chaos were outlined. Some of the new measures include a plan for a contingency overflow, flow triage queuing Process that will be ready for use. More than 10 security lanes will be open in terminals during all peak periods, um, which we know about, and there will be additional security staff who will also be brought in and screening staff in place this weekend. We can take a look now at some of those committee exchanges.
3: Put simply, we failed in our duty to our passengers, and I want to offer my deep apologies to everyone impacted. So we'll have uh, over
0: 10 lanes open in each terminal at key points, which is a 10% improvement in terms of what we had last weekend. A 10% improvement would suggest to me that perhaps only
1: 900 people they might miss their flight. Is that what you're saying to us?
6: If it's raining, will people
3: be out in the rain? Potentially, Chair. That's dreadful. At this older couple, there are four hours. Is that fair, Mr Phillips? I- I'm
0: deeply sorry for that couple.
2: A grilling that went on for hours and hours. Well, I'm joined now by Fianna TD Barry Cowan, Sinn Féin TD Pierce Doherty, journalist Claire Ronan, uh, Sarah Slattery from travelexpert.ie and via Skype tonight by SIPDU's Karen O'Loughlin. You're all very welcome along to the programme. I supposed to come to you first, Sarah, on this. What we got today was that they were wildly wrong in what they thought was going to happen in terms of passenger numbers post-pandemic. We're not expecting um, the crowds that they have seen since March of this year, um, but also a plan. Now, what do you make of the plan that's been announced? They're hoping to avoid the chaotic scenes of last weekend. Do you think that plan will ensure that we will, have a, a, we will be able to avoid those scenes?
7: I do actually. I think last weekend was a bit of a perfect storm. Really, I think um, we've had issues as we know since March, and um, I think. But over the last couple of weeks, things seem to be escalated. You saw on social media. You saw people like Daryl Breen tweeting. Um, I, I, I was following him for the last couple of weeks, and nobody trusted the two and a half hour. Um, nobody was going two and a half hours beforehand. So everyone was arriving four and five hours in advance. And then, you know, on top of that, you had the staffing issues, so we'd, we heard there was 20 staff that didn't turn up, and then there was another 17 uh, staff that should that were rostered incorrectly. So you had those issues, and then you had the, the Saturday. The Saturday was actually really, really busy as well, with the Champions League final, with the, uh, the Heineken Cup. So it, it was a bit of a perfect storm, and what we saw was just queues like unbelievable, like no one could have predicted what, what what happened on Sunday. So,
2: so you're saying you don't think we're going to see a repeat no. of last weekend. I- However, we're not going to have, say, um, these holding areas, someone described as a holding pen, but we're not going to have these areas set up for people who do arrive more than the two and a half hours or three and a half hours before their flight in the case of long haul travel. Of course, that's also increased by an hour on each side if you have bags. So maybe some would suggest the communication isn't altogether clear on that just yet. Some people may arrive early and they're going to have to queue outside. Um, hard, hard to understand how it won't be fully right by this weekend. Or no, do you think I, do, I don't
7: think it's going to be fully right at all. And I, I think we, we will. Um, there's going to be issues throughout the summer. I mean, they're saying it's going to be the end of June before they have um, the staffing levels that, that they need. But I think with 40 extra security staff this weekend, plus 10 lanes open, um, plus if people don't get to the airport too early, I think th- that all that combination will ensure this weekend, I hope, um, should be OK. But that's not to say that, you know, what has gone on in the last couple of months, you know, could have been avoided and, um, and um, won't, won't happen. Okay. You know, but I, I just think this weekend, they, they will probably be OK.
2: All right. Let's um, talk to uh, Karen O'Loughlin. Karen, just to to bring you in on on this, Um, you would represent staff there. The staffing numbers that were mentioned, more than 40 additional security screening staff being in place this weekend, that will be up 10 percent in last weekend. But it doesn't bring staffing up to regular um, summer bank holiday weekend levels, or does it?
4: No, it doesn't. And it's no place near it. Um, I'm not at all confident that the staffing levels that are required will be in place by um, the end of June, as has been suggested, because there's another issue in the background that's actually preventing the hiring of staff, which is the Garda vetting process, which takes um, anything up to six weeks. So even if the DAA were to hire 100 new security staff today, they still wouldn't be able to um, have those people working security for at least six weeks from the day they're hired. So there's a gap here that's going to take some time to fill because a lot of these positions are still only in the um, interviewing stage and not actually at the hiring stage. So I think, yes, the measures that are described for the weekend are going to be useful. I think anything that gives passengers confidence that they are going to be able to get on their flight is going to be useful. Uh, But I think it's going to be really difficult to triage it in the way that's described. But I hope it works, because um, as you've seen from the commentary throughout the whole day, um, the people who are working in the airport there and the security desks are under very, very significant pressure. OK,
2: um, we heard there from Karen. We, we certainly hope it works. Um, I'm sure many people flying out will be hoping it works too, Barry. Uh, what do you make of this plan? Um, and maybe just before we get your reaction to that, we can have a little listen to what Dalton Phillips had to say when he was asked about whether he could guarantee that no one would miss a flight this weekend.
3: You, you were cut to the chase here, Mr Phillips. If Are you telling uh, people that are travelling but short haul and long haul, that if they arrive two and a half hours before, if they have baggage an extra hour, if it's long haul three and a half hours, an extra hour, I have are you guaranteeing l- them that they will get their flights? Again? I, I'm giving them a high level of confidence, Chairman. And that's, Why not that's a guarantee? Because, Chairman, there's a, there's a whole range of factors. That's your to- business, Mr. Phillips. That guarantee it- should be forthcoming.
2: Is that good enough, Barry Cowan? that uh, Dalton Phillips couldn't guarantee that people wouldn't miss their flight this weekend?
6: It possibly could be the case that it's not good enough. Um, What's that you know, now? As well, it
2: could be the case. Well, look, let's, it could let's, be let's, the let's case that my workers, I mean, workers, it, workers
6: are under immense and huge pressure. Let's, let's acknowledge that. And they'll okay. be under further immense pressure to live up to the expectation that is being created by virtue of the plan that's been put in place. But what happened last Sunday, what has happened to date, has been shameful. It has done untold damage to to our reputation. Um, The object of the exercise immediately after Sunday's debacle was to ensure that people were compensated uh, for their out-of-pocket expenses. Mm. Secondly, it was to put a plan in place to catch up on where we are or where we need to be to meet the demands of a bank holiday weekend coming. And as has been alluded to, we hope and expect and appreciate the efforts that's been made to ensure that that is the case. you know the, the, the commitments that have been made that have been contradicted by your workers' union representative already. You know questions the commitment that was made by Dalton Phillips earlier today. But aside from that, and, and parallel to that, we have to acknowledge that this has been a failure on the part. You know, you had 97 million was given to the authorities, mm. and he spent that on on, on uh, sweetening airlines to ensure that they were available to meet the demand that was envisaged. But yet, when that demand materialised, he hadn't. De- the personnel or the people in place. Do you believe all,
2: all the blame rests with with the CEO, Dalton Phillips, on this one, Barry? Well, Dalton
6: Phillips is very well paid to do the job that he's done, having been appointed by uh, the previous government, and he has a responsibility to the board to carry out the the, the, the activities in the airport uh, in a manner on which befits the salary that he's presented with and that he is afforded. Mm. And his failure, you know, people have looked at this and they said somebody has to be held to be held to account. People look at their applications for passports. And the people that are making the application uh, whom are being, who are being starved of it in a timely fashion, mm. they're not making any mistakes. People who are going, spending their hard-earned on, on money going to the airport for a holiday or whether to make work appointments, whatever the case may right. be, it's oh, them it's that are at fault. And sometimes yeah. people need to see that these people are held to account. I think it was okay. a good exercise by the committee today and, and, do you know what? and he will be judged on the responses he gave in the coming weeks.
2: To OK, and, and and a lot of times when we hear um, people should be held to account, we're talking about politicians in this instance. Yeah, in well, this I mean, instance... You No-one know, no yeah.
6: knows better that I was held to account for, for an issue that occurred six years ago and I, I, I respect All and right. appreciate the job of the Taoiseach in, in coming to that conclusion, while I mightn't have agreed with it. It sounds but, like but you're but saying that
2: incumbent. Dalton Dalton, Dalton, um, Dalton, as I said, to you, he's position. very well
6: paid. He's moving on to a higher paid job in, in the coming weeks. But so do you think he should go sooner than he is? Is that what you're alluding to there? While he holds the post, he has given commitments to a committee today and by extension to the Irish people. He will be held to account to see if he can deliver upon those. And if he can't, yes, he has to be held to account.
2: OK, uh, he has to be held to account. What, what do you make of Dalton Phillips' um, performance in front of this Oireachtas committee? There was a lot riding on it, really, because there's an awful lot of people who, who are, are unhappy. They're worried they're going away on holidays. There's an awful lot of workers at that, that airport that are very unhappy as well. And there is that decision that was made to cut 1,000 staff. Do you think there was a breakdown in communications between the DAA and the Department of Transport that allowed uh, the operator to shed a quarter of its workforce and leave us in this situation?
3: Well, I think, you know, when, when we look at where we are in the month of June and we have, you know, the chief executive of the DA not able to guarantee that people will be able to get their flights this weekend, that's shocking. That is absolute terrible failure. Now, we can go back into why this has happened. The core issue here is the redundancy package, allowing 1,000 people. They, they cut very deep. Uh, a thousand people to be go- to gone. Highly qualified uh, security staff, two- nearly two hundred and fifty of them. But that wasn't just Dalton Phillips' decision. That was the Minister for Transport, wasn't it? That signed off on that, and the Minister the for board, Public yeah. Expenditure that signed off on it. Two government yeah. ministers allowed that to happen. And have you have and you
2: confidence in this plan? Have you confidence in what what they're going to say and their ability to turn it around this summer?
3: They have a plan, but as Dalton Phillips says, the margins are tiny. And a number of people who fall ill this weekend, then we've got a problem again. (laughs) They have no contingency plan. And for an island nation, we should have... We should be able to get on a plane and out of the country in peak season. This was well flagged up. If you look back at uh, Ryanair, Ryanair last August was signalling that there was strong consumer demand to get back uh, into the years. They released another statement in January saying that they expected a, a big, big, busy summer. And what happened? Recruitment didn't happen, the training didn't happen and now we have queues outside of uh, Dublin Airport last weekend. And that wasn't the first time because we had it in March. We had reassurances last week to say that it was going to happen happen. and then we had it again. So I cannot say with any confidence that this plan is going to work. And, you know, We have the Minister eventually, the Minister for Transport, turning Mm. up, but he has been completely absent and abdicated his responsibility for months on this issue.
2: Okay, um, Claire. on this one, there'll be um, a lot of people watching. You know, it points to maybe a lack of confidence in a lot of systems not working uh, well in this country, but it's also shown that maybe we should look outside Dublin Airport and the other airports and the opportunities in areas outside Dublin uh, to to pick up business here.
8: Absolutely. I mean... You know, I live in the northwest, so our local air- airport is Ireland West. You can park there for a week for 35 euro. From the front door through security is less than 20 minutes. They also have a body scanner, so if you go through security and something bleeps, you're put into a body scanner. Now they cost 150,000, um, so that may not be why. Are they? May, that may be why they're not in Dublin Airport. But really and truly, it's a two and a half hour drive from Dublin. I would prefer to get into my car and drive to Knock and fly from there. And the government needs to put more flights in the rural airports. And this is something that needs to be discussed.
2: Although if everyone descended on knock, we'd be we'd be in awful <laughs> trouble well. there. Um, I just I want to ask you, Karen, just about a point that um, was made in front of the Iraq, this uh, Committee hearing and Dalton Phillips was asked about it when he was asked about taking the VIP route um, to his plane when he flew out on, on Saturday. But he categorically denied that he, he did so to avoid airport queues, what does it chime well with workers? What what do they make of that?
4: Yeah, well, I don't know. I haven't had any direct feedback in relation to that, so I don't know. But I, I just don't. I don't think it's appropriate that. Um, there's an inability to manage the situation for ordinary uh, passengers and ordinary families going on holidays and somebody then can decide to take a separate route and not be bothered with any of that to experience what other people are experiencing. I don't think that's appropriate but could I come back to just what you said a a few minutes ago because you asked whether you felt or whether the uh, other members of the panel felt that there had been a breakdown in communications between the DAA and the department around the voluntary severance. I don't believe that that was the case. I think my opinion on this is that the DAA saw an opportunity right, to release 1,000 staff, um, all of whom, the vast majority of whom had legacy contracts and better terms and conditions. They saw, saw an opportunity to reduce their costs by getting rid of those people and then rehiring as aviation started to rebuild because they thought it would take longer aviation to rebuild and that they would get away with it. So they took a gamble on it um, on reducing their cost base and it just didn't work out for them and now we have this problem. So I don't think there was a, ber- a breakdown in communications. I think it's a strategy uh, to reduce the terms and conditions at the airport. It's very difficult to get somebody to take a job at security or they'd have to go to work at three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning and face all this aggravation from passengers for 14 euros an hour, um, that's a composite rate, 14 euros an hour. Um, And that's why it's very difficult to fill those slots. Um, And that's one of the issues I think that has been brought up, Karen, by yourself in that the,
2: the abuse that that workers, airport workers have received. I mean, Sarah, from your point of view, as someone who's worked in the travel industry, like how stressful a situation can it potentially get at the airport? We heard of awful scenes at the weekend where people were coming in. They'd been outside for a matter of hours, missing flights and all of this can boil over quite nastily.
7: Absolutely. And I mean, my sister was actually one of those people who missed her flight and had to come home. And I, on social media, I would be you know, um, quite active on social media. And I got messages from people. One person who spent three months trying to get her passport and called for uh, weeks and weeks and weeks to get her passport, eventually got to the airport to go on the holiday that she thought she wasn't going to be able to go on. And then they didn't make it, you know. So some of the stories were just horrific coming back. And um, I think, I you know, and we haven't
2: uh, reached this peak week. I think it's around you know, June 24th when it's going to get really packed out and there. And I
7: think, you know, the, we're talking about the damage it's done for, to our reputation, but it's also done a huge damage to the travel industry in general, who's, you know, been one of the worst affected mm-hmm. with, with uh, throughout the pandemic. Like, are people going to book last minute holidays like now you know would you would you book a last minute holiday to go out this weekend bank holiday weekends were traditional as when i worked in a travel agency monday morning the first thing was calls all day long looking for something this weekend Nobody's going to do that now.
2: Yeah, no chance. Just I want to pick up briefly on something that Karen was saying as well about the rate of pay offered to workers. And you know, it struck me today there is there's there's, there's, a, there's more than a dozen executives in Dublin Airport on on a quarter of a million euro or more, and we have people in this situation who are being offered 14 euro 14 per hour um, to work the hours they're working with contracts that they they have to stick to, but they may work. They may have to work beyond that. Um, Is that key to this problem, Pierce? And do you think that when they're looking to recruit, they should be forced to turn around and say, no, you need to offer more money to workers?
3: Yeah, look, we're hearing now that, you know, like, these workers are like hen's teeth. They've been trying to recruit them internationally, and yet they're still only paying them €14 euro for all hours to, to, you know, in the middle of the night and, and so on. And this was, this is at the core of the issue here. This was, um, you know, penny pinching, and it was about trying to save money at the end of the day, cutting very deep, having no contingency plan, uh, and now we're in the situation where we're at. And we have massive reputational damage in relation to this here. But it was pointed out by SIPTU at the time. SIPTU said at the time, if You sign off on this plan to cut a 1,000 staff, you will have queues out to the car park. That's what we had last week. And who did did SIPTU warn about that? The SIPTU warned the DAA at that time. But they proceeded with that. And, you know, they'll tell us now that they didn't see this coming, but they had any... Any business that doesn't have a contingency plan okay. isn't a business fit for purpose. And we have a DAA that didn't have any contingency plan. They knew how long the lead-in period to train these individuals. They let their skilled individuals go. Mm-hmm. And even when they've seen the uh, uh, tourism ramping up or demand ramping up, it still seems that they didn't act because we're in the month of June yeah. and we can't guarantee that people can get off the island this weekend.
2: Um, let's talk to, uh, about another big story and, and news emerging tonight, uh, Barry, that uh, Prepay power, um, which offers a prepaid uh, energy service, is increasing its prices by 10% from next month. The changes are taking place from July 1st and they're also increasing their gas prices by almost 20%. It affects some 170,000 electricity customers, I think, um, fewer gas customers, but nonetheless, another blow for very hard hit consumers in this country.
6: It is another blow and it's a very severe, has a severe impact across the economy. As the Taoiseach said yesterday, you know, sanctions in relation to the war in Ukraine don't come without a price, despite the efforts in, on the part of government over the last, since the last budget pumping two and a half billion into cost of living measures. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads
0: and still lost 50 pounds. That's stamps.com. Code program. But
6: in in, in this in this area specifically, uh, we have had unfortunately a failing on the part of AirGrid to ensure that there's been sufficient competition in the energy market. That's something I've been arguing about in recent times. So when you times. hear
2: just when you hear from the Taoiseach and he says this is the impact of war, what do you think?
6: Look, it's 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 terribly hard and difficult for knowing the implications of increased sanctions across Europe can have on economies. There are 12 countries across Europe which have higher costs of inflation rates than us presently. But, 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 what? but, but I mean, do you, do you want to make that sacrifice in order to help and assist a country and its people where six million have been displaced, half of them children, where there's untold barbaric act on the part of an aggressor in an illegal invasion of a country? Are we to stand idly by
2: yeah, no, I no, know that. I, I but you're, you're making the point. I know you're making the point, though, that these price rises and what we're seeing is down to competition in the energy sector. That
6: that that has a that has yeah. an impact and has had an impact as well. Yeah. I, I, for example, don't believe that there's sufficient ambition, despite what others might contend in relation to the provisions for uh, offshore wind capacity okay. in this country up let's to 2030.
2: Let's but, let's but, get but, Pierce in but, on that's, that.
6: That's incumbent on uh, a, a revision of that ambition. And the creation yeah. of an authority that can drive that ambition and allow it to flourish and allow us to be at the start of a pipe rather right. than at the end of one, as we are in Europe.
2: Um, Pierce, when we see these rises, you know, people are already feeling the pinch, and we know that it's going to get far, far, far worse come the autumn.
3: Uh, absolutely, like because how the market works is these companies buy their gas nearly a year in advance, so the war in Ukraine really isn't. Fully factored in yet? It's probably later in the autumn that you're going to see prices increase further, uh, and we know that we know that Barry's right. Like Ireland has the fourth highest uh, energy costs in in Europe, um, and. So we started from a very high level. But right across Europe, the, the price of electricity and mm. gas are going up. That's something we can't control. What we can control and what government can control is trying to protect the most vulnerable in society. And that's why they need to introduce a mini-budget, because people just can't put up with this. Like, if you've got a mortgage... You're no chance of
2: because- that, says Pascal Donoghue. We've heard it from him again, time and time again. There's nothing com- coming down the line until October. But he is
3: absolutely wrong, and he is completely out of touch, because we also hear... From people who are turning to St. Vincent de Paul, the Simon community, we heard from the Midlands this morning, 5,000 families that are being supported by food parcels, that's going to increase, they expect, by 15,000. There's families out there who never thought that they would be standing in a queue waiting for basics to be able to put a bowl of cereal in front of their child in the morning. But that's what's happened out of there. And there's other people who are working every hour that God sends them, but
6: they're still struggling to to make ends meet. You do seriously acknowledge, I would hope, that the sanctions that were agreed in Europe, you support them, and you understand, unfortunately, that has implications, notwithstanding the government's uh, responsibility to respond, which it, you might say that it has done nothing. That's not. I don't mind you saying it hasn't done enough. You are entitled to argue that point. But it has put in place 2.5 billion worth of, of assistance, whether it be in the form of social welfare, the form of taxation, and after, it has gone after different sectors badly and most well, impacted. For, by for, it. And, for, for and, and, and That's the to and fro of politics, as I said to you. I don't, I don't, don't, but but I I want you to commit to to this government and to Europe's intention to to increase its ability to sanction Russia, to help in its efforts to ensure Ukraine win this. Let me answer this here
3: because you're absolutely deflecting. I made the point and I've made the point repeatedly that the reason we're seeing hyperinflation is because of the war in Ukraine. That does not absolve you, your party or those parties in government from doing not enough to support those families that not are most enough. vulnerable. Let me, your, Let me That's finish this here. Let me finish this here. We've always said that government can't do everything to insulate people, mm-hmm. but you need to do more. And the fact that you have not introduced cash, a cost of living cash payment for those who are on low and middle incomes, the fact that you have not put additional supports for those who are de- dependent on social welfare, billion
6: in to, total well, has, for, been, has been since, pumped into the economy since the last. Since the last last budget,
3: some of it was last last year's budget. If you listen to the Irish Fiscal Advisory Advisory Council and the Central Bank, the (laughs) council were before me in the committee today, they say the government has scope. For individual targeted measures that are temporary to support those that are most it, vulnerable. Now, your leader, yeah, the okay, is refusing you know. to do that. What he's telling no, people is no. that there's a rocky road ahead. It's akin to Charlie Hoy going on national TV no, and saying, "Tighten your no, belt, no, folks." No. There are people out there who have tr- who have went no. down that rocky road. They have nothing left. They're looking for your government to actually respond. And, and that's it is what engaged needs to done. with the
6: social partners in a view to put in place. Five a months away. No, Get your no, head it's out it is. It's not. It's not. It five is. That's ago. what the teacher is saying. Two nothing. Half, nothing till the billion. budget. Two and a half. You know the it's impact of of war and mayhem. I, and, w- of and course we do. But I know that government should know, respond you you to protect the most vulnerable. All right. All right. Listen.
2: Before we go to a break, Claire... Ronan, I want to get you in on this. There's a lot of people watching at home saying, "Here's two politicians arguing I'm just that thinking,
8: again." You know, to be quite frank with you and with and within, you know, without wishing to insult either of you, if I was standing in a food bank and I'm sitting at home tonight and I don't have my fire lit because I couldn't afford it, the two of you arguing really is like gobbledygook. There are people out there who are so strapped. They, people text into the radio station I work in. I don't know whether I can put American the, office fire, in tall, the morning, sure. fire in the morning, fire in the evening. They haven't got enough food for their children. And you talk about the vulnerable part of society. That's the fastest growing part of our society at the moment. I'm not criticising any government. I'm not politically aware. I'm just saying that the, we are at a crisis here and it's only going to get worse. It is actually terrifying.
6: Yes, and okay. it has to be targeted, as you say, to those that are most vulnerable in okay. relation to taxation and in relation to social welfare.
2: We have to go to a break now. My thanks to Karen O'Loughlin from SIPTU who joined us, and Sarah Slattery and um, with her insights. Um, the rest of my panel will be staying with me. After the break, we'll be discussing that stark climate warning from the EPA today. Stay with us. <laughs> Welcome back. The Environmental Protection Agency has said that urgent implementation of all climate plans and policies, plus further new measures are needed for Ireland to meet the 51% emissions reduction target for 2030. My panel is still with me and I'm joined by Friends of the Earth director, Usheen Coughlin. Um, first, let's have a little uh, watch. Uh, the Social Democrat co-leader, Roisin Shorthall, spoke in the Dáil today on the matter. Take a look.
4: If our emissions keep rising over the course of your government, we will have lost the opportunity to reach our climate targets by 2030. There would simply be too much ground to make up and not enough time.
2: Uh, A lot of ground to make up and not not a lot of time. Oisín Coughlin, when you see the figures out today, maybe you might take us through them. We really need to, to scale up and speed up what we're doing in order to reach those targets, because right now they seem incredibly far out of reach. We're 2022 and we need to meet meet huge targets ahead of us for for
1: 2030. Absolutely. There's no pretending this is very, very challenging. Um, But it's because we're trying to do in 10 years what we should have done in 20 or 30 years. So that's why the scale is really challenging. Um, But what's good about this report is we're getting this information now and it's part of this new, stronger process we have under the climate law. And the next step is the government has to come out with a new action plan in, in the autumn, with new measures to actually bridge that gap, that that's what this is—a vital we, part of the jigsaw. Can
2: we talk, Oshin, about the measures that have been done to date? Because I don't know if it's overly clear to people what we've done so far. So, if you're to give the government a report card on their achievements, what what would you? How would you mark them?
1: Some done, a lot more to do, to to borrow a phrase. I mean, we're seeing significant progress in electricity. Uh, we have about forty percent of electricity from renewables, but we need to get that to eighty percent by 2030. Is the target? We have a new plan on retrofitting, but as we concede with the cost of living crisis, it needs to be—it needs more oomph behind it and more focus on households at risk of fuel poverty in the next six months in particular to hit two birds at one stone on, on cost of living as well. Uh, transport is a really uh, difficult challenge. We're not seeing enough progress yet on cycling and walking and public transport. And then, obviously, the the elephant in the room is is agriculture, where we're not yet seeing buy-in from the leaders of that sector to actually doing their fair share. They're still resisting that. We need every sector to do the, the maximum possible under the, under the sectoral budgets that are coming up, and they're still saying they don't want to do, the, do their fair share. And if they don't, if they only, only do 22%, the rest of us have to do 66, three times that, and that's not fair or feasible. So every sector has to do, do their fair share. Not the same, but their fair share. OK, so what to, it,
2: what's their fair share?
1: 30% is what, is what it looks like would their fair share be, and they're saying they won't do more than 22%.
2: OK, what do you make of that, Barry Count Should they be doing more? Like we've heard of, if, if the agriculture sector doesn't get up to 30%, everyone else will be paying the price.
6: Well, first of all, before I get to agriculture, I would say, as was alluded to, the rate of, in, the rate of um, decrease in relation to emissions when last compared to the last similar report was 2% projected, now it's 4%. Yes, we need to ex- expedite renewables. The 40% renewable that's there presently is mainly land-based that needs to be offshore. The planning procedure and process by which they become on stream needs to be improved. The, the, the aspiration in the existing plan is 5 gigawatts by 2030. I say that needs to be doubled at least, if not trebled, because you have 15 gigawatts available in the south mm. and east coast, 30 in the western. if you bring in wave energy, there's greater potential there as well. And that can have a major and bigger impact than is presently provided for. Agriculture, so you don't agriculture, think we're ambitious enough in that, that regard, Barry? Agriculture is committed to 24%, I think it is, in relation to the to the government's carbon budgets. Its carbon action plan later this year will outline the means and methods by which it will seek to achieve the, uh, their aspirations. But you have to remember, we have a, a, a brilliant uh, industry in agriculture, which is renowned and applauded across the world and makes a huge contribution to our economy know, but, but and to families across the country. can you also accept within and that that, that they emissions have, they have, have to be played looked at? a major at role to they... date and they will play a greater role. And it is incumbent on the government, which I know they are committed to do. And you can see it in the existing right. and the new Common Agricultural Policy, the new GLAS scheme and other incentives in relation to environmental ambition. The one failing to date, I would say, has been in relation to afforestation. The, the, the obligation of 8,000 uh, hectares is only two thousand this year, and that needs to be addressed. And again, I would say the planning process is outdated. Yeah, it's interesting
2: it's though, going. and I want to ask you about this, Pierre Stority. Uh, Oshin mentioned it is the it's I was gonna say, it's the elephant in the room. Um, um, it, it's the cows in the field. I mean, this is the the, the issue here. Really, is that the agriculture st- sector? Um, it's what the environmentalists are saying. It's what the Greens are saying within government. They're a scapegoat. Are they a
3: scapegoat? Look, the agricultural sector recognise that they have to play their part, just like everybody else. Uh, indeed, and Barry's right in terms of, you know, forestry. We've missed those targets for two years in a row. Not just missed the targets. 2,000, the target is 8,000. Organics, which is part of agriculture as well, our targets are way, way below. It's about a third of what the European Union is. Now, there are things that the government can do. There, you know, um, Barry talked about offshore wind energy. They're obstacles that are in the control of government to remove, which is the planning process and beefing up and board planning. There's things, for example, my colleague Darren O'Rourke is bringing a bill uh, to, to the Rock this tomorrow to remove the planning regulations that prevent schools and community buildings have solar panels on them. This September, we will have tens of thousands of children who will be refused a place in a school bus. Their parents will have to take them from their home to the school, congesting their cities, Creating pollution instead of actually investing in the buses and give the okay. children the so space. They some have. Basic... There are things that can be done right here, right yeah, now. But the big yeah, problem it, here, just let me finish yeah. Yeah, okay. the big problem here I need to... the government are missing the plan, they're missing their targets, but even this plan, if it was all achieved on time, we would still only hit our targets by about 50%. Yeah, 50, it's, in, it, yeah 50% it's interesting, isn't it?
2: Because it yeah, be. even if we do all we're supposed to do, we're still not going to get there by 2030. Claire, do you think there's a sense, do people really fully understand about what's required in terms of whole lifestyle changes that are needed here in order to get those emissions down, in, to change the way we live?
8: I think that it's beginning to dawn on people now. I mean, I'm going to be honest and tell you, this morning I was listening to Morning Ireland and when I heard about the report and I was listening to the figures, I actually got a bit frightened myself because there's all this, it's like, isn't it ironic that we're talking about the airport today and all the people that are flying out and going on their holidays and unfortunately we are actually going to have to change the way we live we're going to have to go down to maybe single cars we're going to have to fly less we're going to be more aware of packaging fast fashion everybody is going to have to change the way they live
2: uh- Yeah, Okay. It's an interesting point to leave it on. And we will be coming back to it again, because um, I think for for many people, it is that big lifestyle change. And it's a whole cultural shift in how we think about things as well. And not to mention what all the corporates do about it. But for now, we leave that conversation there. My thanks to the panel. After the break, Ukrainian MP Kira Rudik joins me here in studio. Stay with me. announced on Wednesday that the US will send Ukraine four sophisticated medium-range rocket systems and ammunition to help try to stall Russian progress in the Donbass region of the country. It will take at least three weeks to get the precision weapons and trained troops onto the battlefield. Well, joining me now is Ukrainian MP Kira Rudik. And Kira, explain to us, um, you're over here in Dublin. I've spoken to you several times um, from your home in Kiev, from your bunker. You're here in Ireland um, and you have a message. What message are you bringing?
9: Uh, Hello, thank you so much for having me. I am extremely glad being here. My message is my country needs more weapons, more support, and uh, this is what we need to win. Uh, My message is this war will not be a short one. We already see that. And so the world needs to prepare to the marathon, not a sprint. My message is, we are expecting that the autumn will be very tough. So let's get ready to that. And getting ready is putting more sanctions in, actually voting for the sanctions and not only talking about them. It's uh, getting Ukraine uh, more support from all the sides, Mm -hmm. starting from refugees uh, and up to the humanitarian support. And the third point is, I'm calling for a humanitarian mission to unblock Ukrainian ports. You know, before the war, Ukraine was top three world's producers of grain, wheat, sunflower oil, corn and tomatoes. And right now, all of this is blocked in Ukraine because Russian ships are blocking our ports. So the world has right now 10 weeks of grain supplies. After that, southern countries, like in Africa, in Latin America, they will start experiencing famine. Famine while in Ukraine we will not have even a place where to store the excess wheat. We will have to burn it. Can you believe that? So closer to autumn, things will get worse. So the energy bills will go up. Because mm. I think everybody understand that Putin will not become a nicer person closer to autumn. Closer to autumn, the uh, situation with the food supplies will be even worse. So we need to act now so that Ukraine can fight better so we can push Putin harder so that the war would end faster.
2: From, from what you're saying, it appears to me that you're saying this, this war can only be won militarily. Absolutely. I strongly believe only that.
9: Because, okay, imagine that we go diplomatic way. Who and what will be the reason for Putin to keep his word? We have been at war with him for eight years. I can tell you one thing about this man. He does not keep his word. Mm -hmm. And whatever peaceful agreement or diplomatic agreement he will get himself in, he will break
2: it another day. And then what? Um... On this and the situation on the ground, um, we are hearing that troops are fatigued. This is a long war now. We are three months into this war. Um, At the start, it was thought maybe this might be a short-lived invasion. We didn't know how it was going to play out. Did you ever imagine that we would be here now in this very attritional war, in this state now that we're looking at this region of Donbass in a very um, extended and bloody conflict, Kira?
9: Nobody could have expected that things will will turn out like this. So we need to take on of what we have and see what the strategy is. You know, I have been to Davos before coming to England and then Ireland. And I can tell you there is no strategy from the Western leaders. So it's good to be Ukrainian right now because we know what we are going to do. We are going to fight we are going to ask for more weapons, more support, more mm-hmm. sanctions. So that would be a unified effort uh, that the whole world is uh, making sure that Ukraine wins. This is the only way for us. This is the only way right now for all the countries that are waiting for their, for, for their grains and wheat. And this is the only way that we will be able to actually stand for the democratic values. Ukraine is acting right now as a shield for the whole Europe, because we know that Mm -hmm. Putin announced his plans that he's rebuilding Russian empire. Do you see many countries wanting to be part of this Russian empire?
2: No. You're here in Dublin, and and as you know, Ireland is is neutral, militarily neutral in this position. Um, What do you think of the level of support we've given um, opening our doors to Ukrainian refugees uh, and the response from the Irish government, indeed, to what's happening in your country?
9: So I'm meeting with the the Irish parliamentarian and speaking to Irish parliament tomorrow. But I can tell you one thing. You guys have been amazing to Ukrainians who are coming here. And it's been so heartwarming to talk to people here in Ireland that, that are saying all the doors are open for us. People are doing so much, people are trying to help. You know, I was walking down the street today and there was a man who stopped me and saying, oh, you're from Ukraine, I see your pin. Can I buy you a cup of tea? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? And it was so nice because I understand that all the political differences, all the things they are put aside because people are supporting people because we are all the same. We all stand for having a good life for our families, for living in peace, for making sure that we we just live live our normal life and people here in Ireland have been so supportive sending donations sending humanitarian aid back to Ukraine standing up for us making demonstrations setting up schools setting up English uh, lessons for Ukrainian mm-hmm. refugees so there's been so much help and support i cannot even begin to tell you and i only wish that this would continue on a separate note, I would like to thank for waiving visas for Ukrainians because
2: uh, this is something that Irish government did very well to my people. Mm. This is something that we... If you remember, that was an issue at the start of the yes. war for people trying to escape that they couldn't do so necessarily with all their yes. fam- family members. So Absolutely. from that point of view, um, you must be happy and heartened and, 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 I, and Ukrainian people here reassured by that. Is there hope among the community here that you've been speaking to that they will be able to return home?
9: Of course, people like there is there are no people who are saying oh we left our homes we left our communities we left our social status we we like uh, had to flee throughout the Europe uh, and we are so happy about that no people do want to return but I also want to carefully explain to them that it may be a longer term solution and they need to establish themselves here they need to start like living normal life if it's possible, because it can take years. A long time.
2: And and finally, before we go, I need to ask you about the the Ukraine win. They beat Scotland 3-1 in a World Cup qualifier. You must be very proud to see uh, the Ukrainian team perform like that tonight.
9: Oh, of course. You know, I've been to Scotland like today in the morning and uh, everybody was talking about the game and the expectations. And I want to say that I stand corrected that it was most important to have this game, most important to have this
2: unity and solidarity. And I'm so grateful. For Great. That. Kira Rudik, thank you for joining us tonight. That's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast. You can also find us on Instagram tonight, TV, from all the late team here. Good night. Take care.